just keep playing for just a second. I want us to, to take a few moments to um, pray over what's happening in Ukraine. We have lots of people who we know who are connected. Um, my friend Zibby is uh, over there. He's a missionary in Poland. He lives in Poland. And they are helping people move from um, across the border and um, basically trying to get them to safety. And so he's been trying to uh, get them in uh, hotels, apartments, whatever. And uh, I just felt we needed to help him. He's like, it's, it's coming at an expense. So we're going to, as a church, send $10,000 to him this week to help him try to help with these refugees. And uh, so praise God. Uh, he says it's just a mess and there's hundreds of thousands. And he's like, well, we can't do it all, but we can do what we can. And uh, I just wanted to pray for, for what's happening over there. Um, so you just join me in prayer here. Lord, we, we lift up this situation, Ukraine, Lord. Lord, I don't know all the things that are happening. There's things that we're not hearing from the media. I, I don't know the story other than we know that people are being hurt. And Lord, there's, there's men that have motives, Lord, that are not pure, Lord. And so God, Lord, what we do is we just say, God, give us spirit-led prayers, Father. Who do we pray for? How do we pray for, Lord? We pray for the protection, Lord, of the, of the people of Ukraine, especially in the main city of Kiev, Lord. We pray your protection upon them, Father. Lord, we pray, Lord, this evil would stop in the name of Jesus, Lord. We stand against evil, Lord, and we pray for the church, God. We pray the church would rise up, Father. I pray this is a season of incredible harvest for the church, Lord. Even in the midst of crisis, Lord, that the church would pray. The church would be a prayer, would be a, a, just a, a light in, in this world, light in this, in this country, Father, Lord. We pray your protection upon Christians who are standing up. We pray, Father, Holy Spirit, Lord, that there would be uh, even Christians, Lord, in Russia, Lord, that would be giving counsel to Putin to say, hey, this is wrong. This is wrong. Lord, I pray, Father, Lord, that he, the, the, the plans and the schemes of the enemy would be thwarted, Lord. No weapon formed against will prosper, Lord. And we just speak, Father, to, to, that there would be a harvest of souls come in through this whole situation lord we pray to end quickly father and lord this would be a season of a harvest of souls in ukraine as and a revival of souls in the name of jesus god i pray be with zibby lord as he and his team is trying to take care of multiple multiple people lord and i pray that you would use him in his church father to to, to just take care of one another, Lord. And I pray this is an opportunity to preach the gospel, Lord. In the midst of hurt, in the midst of pain, Lord, you are the comforter, you are the healer. And we honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, tough. Just keep, keep praying for that, for that, you know. Just praying for spirit-led prayers, you know. Sometimes you pray stuff. I mentioned in my email. Sometimes you pray stuff and you're like, I don't know what I can pray, you know, and I think it's important just to let the Holy Spirit pray through you and get, let him actually speak to you about what to pray for. Um, so amen, amen. Well, on another note, the sun's shining. No ice. It's supposed to be in the 70s this week. 
Praise God for that. Yeah. Praise God for that. Casey did an amazing job last week. Didn't he give up for Casey? I was at a the LCA boys retreat. It was so cool. The first night we just were praying for, I, I just shared on salvation and being born again. And it was, as they broke up into their small groups, it was so neat to hear some of them say, you know, I, I have my parents' faith, but I never actually surrendered my life to Christ. And uh, it was just so, so neat to see uh, many of them make commitments to Jesus or recommitments to Jesus. And so, yeah, that was awesome. Well, this week I'm going to be sharing just a simple message how much time I got? A little, we might go just, you know, no more than an hour over, I think. So, uh, but uh, simple message. Uh, we're going to step away from Daniel. We're still in our holiness set apart. Um, did you guys see the board out there? If you look, our words are up on our board out there. Thank you, Kristen, for helping put that together. And um, I was going to talk about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego this week, the fiery furnace. Man, that's always a good one. But we'll talk about that next week. Um, March missions we start next week, and so that's going to be a really great time. And I just encourage you, um, as, as we're going through, we're going to be sharing videos of missionaries. We've got needs and all that kind of stuff. And what we do, and do in March is we, we take up an, an offering for our missionaries above our tithe. Did you hear me say that? Above our tithe. It's a, it's a special offering that we give. Last year, we gave $100,000 uh, away in missions to help people all across the, the world. You know, it's interesting. I was talking to my dad yesterday, and, you know, all these missionaries that I talked to, I said, where does the, mo- the majority of your funding come from? They said, all the United States, hands down. That's one of the things that God has given us. We are a blessed, blessed nation. And a lot of these countries, like in Moldova, which one of the ones we support, I mean, there is not enough Christians. There's not enough funds. God is actually using America and I think we, get, we never can forget that, to really launch the gospel around the world. God's used this country, so keep praying for our country. You know, I know many of us, it's, it's in a rough time right now, but God is not done with America. And we, we, God, is, God cares about this nation because he cares about what the power of the gospel going out, not just funds, but missionaries and all that good stuff. So um, on Tuesday night, I, so I was going to talk about Shadrach, Bishak, and Abednego. But on Tuesday night, I woke up in the middle of the night. I don't know. It might have been JJ. <laughs> He's been sleeping pretty good, though, huh? Not last night. <laughs> I slept through it. Um, but I, I had this verse going through my mind. And I got up, got to the couch, and I was just sitting there, Lord, I don't know. What, you know, what are you saying? You know, sometimes when those things happen in the middle of the night, I try to go back to sleep. And sometimes I'm like, okay, God, let's go talk. And uh, we, we, I got up, and, and this verse had been just, just going through my spirit all week. I don't even remember reading it recently. Uh, I don't remember hearing it recently, but this verse just kept coming up in my spirit. It's Matthew 5, 8. Do we have that? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. It's coming up. Blessed in the pure heart, for they shall see God. Blessed in the pure heart. So it's over and over, and I'm like, I don't know why I'm thinking about this. Um, so then the Lord began to just download at 2 a.m. some things. Now, you might think that a pure heart feels in an impossible task. Like, God, I mean, because it's really related to holiness. Um, but a pure heart does not mean a sinless heart. Why would Jesus ask us to have a pure heart if we can't have a sin, if, if 
He's the only one that could be sinless. A pure heart is actually not a sinless heart. Um, when we talk about the heart, the heart is the whole inner workings of the man, the body, or the, the, not the body, but the soul, the mind, the will, the emotions, all this kind of stuff. And so when we hear the word pure, the actual word there means, talks about like a pure metal, like pure sil- silver without a, an alloy. I didn't even know what an alloy was. So do you know what an alloy is? An alloy is something that you add to a, a pure metal to make it either stronger or cheaper or both. So the word pure actually means without any type of foreign material coming in. It's, it's totally pure, pure silver, pure aluminum. So what Jesus is saying here is a pure heart is the, is the part of the inner self that is undivided with no other passions, no other motives, no other loves, no wandering eyes, and that is the kind of heart that will see God. That's the kind of heart that will see God. James 4, 8 says, draw near to God, he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hand, hands, you sinners, purify your hearts, you double-minded. So here we see a double-minded person needs to purify their heart. It also speaks to our motives. Psalm 24 says this, who may climb the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? Only those whose hands and hearts are pure, who do not worship idols and never tell lies. And here's what happens. Same exact thing. This is Old, Old Testament. New Testament said the same thing. They will receive the Lord's blessing and have a right relationship with God, their Savior. Such people may seek you and worship in your presence, O God of Jacob. So the whole point there, they're, they are not focused on idols. So they have no other loves. They, they're not telling lies. They've got a clean heart. Our desire is to see God. Amen? Can we say that? Our desire is to see God. We've been talking about that. We want God to manifest himself. What does that mean? We want him to reveal himself in our midst, like he did today. So I was, as I was thinking about all this at 2 a.m. in the morning, the Holy Spirit gave me these five men in the Bible who had incredible revelation because the pure in heart will see God. And so I, I thought, man, who's, who's got these incredible revelation? And they had pure hearts. We got Moses who wrote the Torah, the five first, five books, first books of the Bible, right? We had David who wrote the Psalms and the Psalms. And not only that, he had like a, just a revelation, understanding of New Testament worship in the Old Testament. We have Daniel who was given an unbelievable revelations we're still living in some of them. He saw Jesus coming, kingdoms coming, Medes, Persians, all this crazy stuff hundreds of years before. The Apostle Paul, we can say, yeah, he had some revelations, right? And John, the Apostle, he had a revelation. They named his book Revelation. So 2 Timothy 2 says this, In a wealthy home, some utensils are made of gold and silver. Some are made of wooden clay The expensive utensils are used for special occasions and the cheap ones for everyday use. Now listen to this. If you keep yourself pure, you will be made, you will be a special utensil for honorable use. Your life will be clean and you will be ready for the master to use you for every good work. So I've been praying this all week, Lord. I want a pure heart. I want a pure heart. God, when, Lord, what I want to hear the Lord say is, when I'm walking around, he's roaming the earth, and he's looking to do a move of God. And he's like, I want to do something here. You know what he's looking for? He's looking for people who said, who, who've set themselves apart, who've purified their lives. And he says, oh, right there. Right there. I can use them. I can trust them. 
How many of you say, I want to be that person? Well, it comes with a cost. It always comes with a cost. So what we're going to talk about is five characteristics of a pure heart used in five different people in the Bible. You ready? Nobody's ready. (laughs) Number one, Moses. In Numbers 11, the people were complaining to Moses, as usual. You can basically take any chapter in those first five books and hear if they're complaining, because they're always complaining. I'm sick of this manna. Manna was this, this substance that would show up in the mornings, and they're like, I want meat. Give me the meat. Moses was getting so annoyed. They're complaining. And I mean, there was like one to two million people. And he, he was the one leader. I mean, that's, that's, that was tough. And so God told him, and says, look, here's what I'm going to do. Numbers 11. The Lord said to Moses, gather before me 70 men who are recognized as elders and leaders of Israel. Bring them to the tabernacle. Stand there with you. I will come down and talk to you there. I will take some of the spirit that is upon you, and I will put the spirit upon them. They will bear the burden of the people along with you, so you will not have to carry it alone. So Moses brings the 70 people. I think we got a little picture there. That's, that's an actual picture that happened. I'm joking. But he brings the 70 people there, comes to the tabernacle, and God just shows up, and he, and he just begins to lay. Now, it was... It was it's interesting, it's the word upon, not in. That's what Jesus came to do, that now the Holy Spirit lives in us. But they came upon him, them, and they all started to prophesy. The Bible said they only did it one time, but they all started to prophesy. Well, then let's keep reading Numbers 11. Two men, Eldad and Medad, I didn't hear those names there this morning, Eldad and Medad, but, uh, with baby dedications, but uh, had stayed behind in the camp. They were listed among the elders, but they had not gone out into the tabernacle. Yet the Spirit rested upon them, so they prophesied there in the camp. So everybody's out in the, the, at the tabernacle outside the camp, but there's a couple guys that didn't go for, for whatever reason, and they started prophesying right there. So um, a young man, this is Moses, I mean, I'm sorry, Joshua, a young man ran and reported to Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. Joshua, son of Nun who'd been Moses' assistant since his youth, protested, Moses, my master, make them stop. But Moses replied, are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them all. Characteristic number one of a pure heart is a a pure heart is a kingdom-minded heart. Has a kingdom heart. My motive is God's will, not my own. I want what God wants. I'm not insecure about others being exalted. I want everyone to have what I have. And this, this is not the American thing here. I'm not threatened by someone else's blessing. Paul, shows, Paul says God shows no favorites. So that means what he does in you, he can do for someone else. And what he does in someone else, he can do in you. And I just want to just speak this. I believe the spirit of competition in our church has to be brought down in the churches. I'm preaching to us. I'm preaching to myself. Well, that church over there, they're just big because they compromised. They just, you know, we all say stuff like that, you know. They're just big because they compromise and they're not about discipleship. Those are all the things like that. How, what if God just chose to bless them because he chose to bless them? What's that to us? Right? Well, they get to use their gift up on the stage. That, that should have been me up there. I, that should be me. I, 
I deserve this. Why, was, why were they given a place over me? I deserve that title. I, I deserve to be used because of my experience. The, my last church, I was doing all this other stuff. How come I'm not being used? Why do they get the blessing and I don't? Why did they get the opportunity over me? Yet here is Moses, who God literally, I mean, he, he's got some pretty good credentials, like God kind of told him how the whole world started. It's a big credentials. Here he is, who seeks God face to face. The Bible calls him the most humble person in the world. And here he is saying, I wish that everyone had the same spirit on me. I wish they all prophesied. I wish all the Lord's pro- people were prophets. Dude, that is, that's kingdom-minded, let me tell you. That's humility. He's like, thanks for defending my honor, Joshua, but that's not my heart because that's not God's heart. I want the church down the street to grow. Can we say that? I want the churches down the street to grow. I want them to be blessed. I want the spirit of God to break out. I want all that stuff happen. I, how, how could we go? I want a business that is in competition with me. It's another brother or sister in Christ. I want them to grow. I, God bless them. That's hard to talk about. What about, man, look at the house that they got. Look at that beautiful house. I've been praying, God, please give me a house. How can we respond and say, you know what, man, good for them. Good for them. I think their kids are going to love that. How about this? Jesus said some are given one talent. Some are given five talents. Some are given ten to another. Can we be okay that God just gave someone a little more than us? Maybe you're a five. Let me just tell you something. God's kingdom is not fair, but it's just. It's always right. It's always good. So let me just tell you this word here over this first point. Someone else's promotion does not mean your demotion. Let me speak that over you. Someone else's promotion does not mean your demotion. God does not run out of miracles. God does not run out of blessings, and he does not run out of favor. And the kingdom of God is like, we're all blessed. And just because God does something new does not mean that I'm diminished. That's a hard word. So how do you do, what do you do when the spirit of competition starts rising in you? Well, you bless the person. You speak a blessing over them. You pray over them. Maybe send them a note. Maybe send them a card. I Anytime I feel that, Lord, I just, I just go, okay, Lord, I bless them in the name of Jesus. There's been times where things have happened, and you know, I end up sending my friend a text that I was like struggling with something. You know, dude, we all struggle with stuff. Like, God, why are they getting that? I'll send them and say, man, I'm so proud of what God's done in you. And you might think, well, maybe I'm manipulating my heart or whatever. You know what I'm doing? I'm speaking what my heart wants to feel. I'm actually speaking what I believe. I don't, I, I, I don't care what I feel at the moment because Feelings are, are fleeting, but what I do is I speak and blessing over someone and my emotions always follow. Amen? All right. Number two, David. In Samuel 6, the Ark of God's Covenant was not in the tabernacle in Jerusalem. It had been stolen uh, by the, um, the Philistines. We got a picture of the Ark in case you don't know. Um, 
That was the Ark of Covenant, the best they could say. The literal presence of God would dwell in that between the cherubims. And uh, now the Holy Spirit lives in all of us, right? We are the, the temple of God, praise God. But the Philistines had stolen it. David's army came and took it back. And there's a lot that happened. Obed-Edom's house and all. I won't go into that because it's not a part of what we're going to say here. But when the ark finally made it into Jerusalem, the Bible says David threw out his armor, outer garment and he just starts dancing like crazy, right? And he's just dancing before the Lord as the ark is moving into the city. And, and you know who's out there? Michal. That's the right way to say it. I looked up the Hebrew way and I couldn't pronounce it. Something like that. But Mikhail, his wife, was in the palace watching it and she was disgusted by his behavior. His wife was disgusted. And so he sends everybody home. And in 2 Samuel it says, When David returned home to bless his own family, Mikhail, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet him. And she said in disgust, how distinguished the king of Israel looked today, shamelessly exposing himself to the servant girls like any vulgar person might do. And David retorted to Michal, I was dancing before the Lord who chose me above your father and all his family. He appointed me as the leader of Israel, the people of the Lord. So I celebrated before the Lord. Now listen to this. Yes, and I am willing to look even more foolish than this, even to be humiliated in my own eyes. But those servant girls you mentioned will indeed think I'm distinguished. A lot of times we know I will be even more undignified than this, some versions. So the Bible says God, David was a man after God's own heart. Now he had his failings, we know. But here's, here's the second point. A pure heart cares more about what God thinks than what people think. A pure heart cares more about an undivided heart, a heart that's solely on God says, I care more about what God thinks than what other people think. Let me just tell you, the fear of man is a nasty, nasty plague to us all. <laughs> Say amen. amen. But let me just tell you this. Anytime God calls you to do something, okay, he calls you to do something, and what people think becomes into the equation of whether or not you're going to do that thing for God, you have now muddied the waters of your motives. You've now muddied the, 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 your motives because now you care about what people think, and it's influencing whether you're going to follow out God. I'm not going to do something, or sometimes because of fear, man, we do stuff that God has never called us to do because we feel guilty. We feel obligated. We go around doing stuff, and God's like, I never even called you to do that, and you're exhausted, and you're doing it all to meet a need because, oh, I just want people to like me. We've got to replace the fear of man with the fear of God. When I was um, coming to this church five years ago, I, I, I feel like I tell all these stories at the same time, but there's always little, little, little other sides to it. I don't think I've told this part. So when I was coming, you guys know I was at a larger church, and this church you know, wasn't growing like this. It was, it was in bad shape, and I was like, should I come? And there was no finances, and it was like a total step of faith. And I reached out to three friends Three close friends, and I asked them, what do you think I should do? And you want to hear what all three... And I felt like the Lord told me to come here, but here's what all three of them told me. Number one, they told, one friend told me, God always calls us to the next big thing, and this ain't it. 
Number friend to, two friend told me, Jeff, I can't see you in a little place like that. You know, I've been leading worship at, at large churches. I can't see you going to a little place like this. And I wasn't coming to be the pastor. You know, if you guys, if you come to membership, you'll find that out tonight. Um, I wasn't coming to be a pastor here. I was coming to help with worship. Jeff, I've always seen you at a big place. I think this is beneath you. A third person said, Jeff, this is going to fail. I know the track record of, of things, and I know stuff behind the scenes. This is going to fail. You're making a horrible decision. Well, that just encouraged me to take a step of faith. <laughs> God, I'll just step out in faith on that one. Um, well, luckily, I made the decision to, to come. Um, these are people that loved me. They were people that loved me. They just weren't hearing God on it. we got to remember that. We think that everybody around us, just because they give counsel, there's people who love us genuinely, but they're not, they can't always hear God for us. That's why you got to have your own relationship with Jesus. you got to hear him for yourself. And so these people were saying this. I had to make a decision. I'm going to listen to God or am I going to listen to people? Luckily, that time I did. But let me just tell you how many times I have not. And I've been afraid of people. I've, I've shrink, shrunk back because I'm like, I just... It's too scary. And here's the thing I want to tell you. Most of the time, the voices of reasons trying to talk you out of the thing of God are not from the loud voices that are trying to persecute you. They're from your inner circle. And most of the time, the reason is because they don't... By you stepping out in your calling, you're actually affecting them. Maybe you're affecting their relationship. Things are not going to be... Maybe it's... You're not going to be as close you know, by, you're not going to be around as much. Whatever it is, they're the, they're the voices that speak to you, and they mean the most to you. In this case, it was David's own wife saying, oh, you're disgusting. What, what did David respond? He goes, I'm going to look right in this. I'll be even more undignified than this. I don't, I don't care what anybody else thinks about me. I love God, and I'll do whatever it takes to honor him. How do you break out of the fear of man? Well, let me just tell you this. You don't wait till the fear is gone because that's never going to happen. You step right into it. I felt when I was praying over this, um, just to speak this word over you, I felt the Lord say, some of you, the Lord's calling you to step out in your worship, to step out in extravagant, and the Lord's been calling you, and you're just afraid of what people think. And that... That actually is a going to be a key for you to step forward in other parts of your relationship if you can learn to just worship him extravagantly. And can I just tell you real quick, when you worship and you lift your hands, some of you are called to dance. Some of you are called to bow before the Lord. Can I just tell you just a word, like just a, just a real spiritual word about what people think in here about you worshiping? They don't care. They're not looking at you. Nobody's paying attention. And if they are, who cares anyway? I, but I just feel like the Lord's calling us to step forward in a deeper, more expressive relationship with God in our worship. I, I, I think I need to do another teaching on worship in here because I've just been feeling that. Like, you know, when we say hallelujah, you know, that word means crazy praise. So sometimes we're saying, hallelujah, 
And that's not what the word, hallelujah, is what David was talking about. Crazy, extravagant praise. And I feel like there's, a, there's something that's going to be unlocked in all of us if we would just start here in the group of believers and just say, I'm going to be a little bit more extravagant than I've ever been. I'm going to go from here to here, you know? Maybe that's what I got to do. Some of you are afraid to share your faith. You know how you do this? How do you break through this? Where's Lucy at? You go to the harvest. Go share your faith. I'm scared to death. What are people going to think? You go out, you go door to door, and you begin to share your faith. And I'm telling you, people's opinion of you just goes down. It's like, dude, I'm doing the Lord's work, man. This is sweet. All right, number three. You with me? Daniel. We are getting a little bit of Daniel today, but Daniel was a righteous man. The Bible calls him righteous and upright, blameless. And we see a prayer in Daniel 9 that I think is a model for us all. He's crying out for the mercy of his people. You guys, if you've been following this, you know the story um, that God was judging his people because of their sin, and he sends, sends another country, Babylon, to come and take them captive. They take Daniel and his friends 1,500 miles from Jerusalem to Babylon. They are put in a, just a horrible uh, situation of like a brand new culture, brand new language, everything, eating food and all this kind of stuff. He's taken in captivity. But he makes this prayer. Now, he was a righteous man. The Bible calls him a righteous man. But then he prays this prayer. I want us to look at it. Daniel 9. I prayed to the Lord for my, to my God and confessed, O oh Lord, you are a great and awesome God. You always fulfill your covenant and keep your promises of unfailing love to those who love you and obey your commands. But listen what he says. We have sinned and done wrong. We have rebelled against you and scorn your commands and regulations. We have refused to listen to your servants, the prophets who spoke on your authority to our kings and princes and ancestors and to all the people of the land. Now, you've got to remember, Daniel was a part of, he was a part of royalty in some way, but he was a blameless man, and yet he uses the language here. We have sinned. We have done wrong. Characteristic number three of a pure heart is a, is a repentant heart. Quick to forgive, but not even just for sin, but even for mistakes. And I just, I just want to throw this out. When's, when's the last time we told our kids, hey, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. Daddy messed up. Mommy messed up. When's the last time we told somebody that we managed, you know what? I really jacked that up. It's all on me. Or do we try to constantly twist things to look good in our favor? A heart that is pure is quick to say, I was wrong. Please forgive me. Lord, forgive me. Search my heart. I'm not, I need you. But I want to take this even farther because a pure heart recognizes that you can't even trust your own heart. Jeremiah says, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things, desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? But I, the Lord, search all hearts and examine secret motives. I give all people that do rewards according to what their actions deserve. So Daniel's saying, who am I to point fingers, God? I, your ways are not my ways. 
Paul himself called himself the chief of all sinners. This was a guy who was just like revelation, all this kind of stuff, but yet he's sitting there going, I am the chief of all sinners. One of David's moments that I think is just so powerful is when he's fleeing from Absalom, who had a stage of mutiny. He's fleeing for his life, and as he's fleeing for his life, he's got this whole entourage of people leaving the palace because they're chasing him out. And when this guy, Shemiah, starts throwing and pelting rocks at them, and he starts cursing them. And one of David's men, I mean, you got to give it to him. He goes, he goes, David, I can't believe he's saying that. You want me to go cut his head off? <laughs> and what did you know what David said? What if God told him to curse me? Leave him alone. A pure heart says, I don't even know if what I'm doing is right. You know, I've been, the Lord's been showing me how many times I'm quick to form a judgment. How many times I'm quick to take an offense? How many times do I take somebody else's offense up? I don't even know the facts. The person they're offended by has always been great and awesome to me, but now I hate them. (laughs) Quick to think that what I feel is truth. How quickly we can be deceived into thinking that my truth is God's truth. So if we can't really trust our own hearts, then what do we do? Well, the Bible tells us what to do. It's God's word. Hebrews 4, for the word of God is alive and powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword. Now listen to this, cutting between soul and spirit. Joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes, and he is the one to whom we are to be accountable So what happens is when we read God's word on a daily basis, we meditate on it, we think about it, we pray about it, we declare it, there will be moments where the Lord begins to expose what's really going on in your own heart. And it's like this, it's hard to explain, but we've all experienced it, hopefully, is it's like you're just praying, and all of a sudden, it's like it becomes clear. That was my soulless realm. That's like junk going on over there, and this is what the Spirit of God is saying, and it, it cuts in line. You know, the other day, I was praying about this verse, pure in heart, and I, said, I was like, Lord, I want, I, just, I, want the pure, I want a pure heart. Lord, I want a pure heart. And then the Lord did what the, the Word did, what the Word's supposed to do, and the Lord started showing me where my heart was unpure. And it was somewhere that I had had some unforgiveness to some people. And you know what I did? I just, right there, I said, Lord, gosh, that's ugly. That's icky. And I, and I first of all, I prayed and I asked, and here's how you do this. It doesn't have to be so drawn out and f- crying on the floor and slobbering all over the place. All you do is you say, Lord, forgive me for thinking that. Lord, please forgive me. I repent. Second thing you do is you say, Lord, forgive them. And this is one of the hardest. I forgive them, and Lord, you forgive them, but I forgive them. This is the hardest thing because that takes the power of God to do that. But Lord, I forgive them. And the third thing is is you bless them and you pray over them. Real quick, Lord, forgive me. I repent. Lord, I forgive them, and Lord, I bless them. And I I think that's one where I just sent them a note and said, hey, love you guys. Number four, 
the Apostle Paul. We're talking about five characteristics of a pure heart. Number four. 2 Corinthians 12 says this. Well, let me just back up. So Paul was getting these amazing experiences into heaven, going literally into third heaven, having all these revelations. And you guys have all heard about his thorn in the flesh. This is what it's about. And he's getting these amazing revelations. And God says, I'm going to give you this thorn in the flesh. And I don't think it's the Lord, but he was just allowing this to happen. All right? So... That experience is worth boasting about, but I'm not going to do it. I will boast only about my weaknesses. If I wanted to boast, I would be no fool in doing so because I would be telling the truth. But I won't do it because I don't want anyone to give me credit beyond what they can see in my life or hear in my message. Man, that, that, just, that just stuck me. I don't want anyone to give me credit beyond what they can see in my life and hear in my message. Even though I have received such wonderful revelations from God, so to keep me from being proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weakness and in the insults and the hardships and the persecutions and the troubles that I suffer, suffer for Christ. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Now, we don't actually know what Paul's thorn in his flesh is. My best guess is I think he's talking about persecution because the first um, chapter before that, he's talking all about all the things he's going on in persecution. But some people think, I don't know, some people say it was malaria or an earache or an eye, eye problem. I don't know. Maybe the Lord left that out on purpose so that we could apply it to any part of our lives, right? We all face trials. We all face hardship. A pure heart, number four, is a humble heart that recognizes where his or her strength comes from in its total dependence upon Christ. It's not in my own power, but it's in your power. I love this, this commentary that I read. It says, many people see God as a parent that we outgrow. Once we're mature and once we have overcome certain obstacles in life, we can shake off God just the same as we shook off the authority of our parents. In this pattern, some of us treat God the same way we treat our parents. We give him a measure of respect, we give him his due, but we no longer feel we have, really have to obey him anymore. In our hearts, we have moved out of the house. We think we can make our own rules in life as long as we have supper at God's house once a week and give him a little recognition. Whew. And Paul's saying, I, I, I didn't move on to anything. I'm actually coming with this, this, just, tent, this just heart that says, I, I, I'm so desperate for you, God. I, I can't do without any. You know, it's our tendency to boast. It's our tendency to puff out our chest. It's our tendency to talk about our credentials, things we've achieved, our accomplishments. So Paul says, I'm not even going to talk about that, though you would be impressed by what I talk about. You know what I'm going to talk about? I'm going to talk about my dependency upon Jesus. I'm going to boast in my weaknesses. A pure heart is a humble heart. I, I just tell you, listen to your words. Listen to how you talk. Do you talk about yourself and your accomplishments a lot? If not, or if you do, then you might need to start looking at my own heart, your own heart. Because we're ashamed of our weaknesses. We hide them, don't see it. It's an insecurity. And Paul wasn't going around talking about, woe is me, and asking and fishing for sympathy. But he, what he was saying is, I'm just not going to go around talking about 
all my revelations, I'm going to come to you in weakness. You know, a few years ago, I was leading worship at a college, Bible college. And I was working with some, uh, some of their teams, college students. And, you know, I was feeling a little insecure. You know, I'm, I'm old. And uh, I was feeling old compared to 18-year-olds. And um, I didn't think they really knew me or what I'd done or whatever. And I began to puff my chest out. <laughs> Not literally, but un- they didn't ask anything. But I was just feeling like, well, you know, I just... You know, I, I worked on this project, and you know, I, I wrote this song, and I've been a part of this, and I led worship to them. They were impressed. Whoa, whoa. I got in the car after that, and the Lord gave me a spanking. <laughs> and I felt the immediate conviction of the Lord come upon me. I said, why'd you tell them that? They didn't need to hear that. They don't need to hear that. You know what they need to see? I'll honor you. I will exalt you by how I use you, by my spirit. They don't need your own mouth to tell you that. And God wasn't telling Paul, I'm not going to help you with this thorn in the flesh. That's not what he was saying. He was giving them the answer. Some of us go through stuff like, God, take it away. God, take it away. I want God to take it away. But sometimes he says, the answer is, I'm going to show you the answer. and I'm going to teach you that my grace is sufficient for you. And then even when you're hurting, that I can come through. And because what happens is now, I actually, I'm actually going to use that to show the world how good I am. That's not how we want to operate. We want to show the world how good we are. And Paul didn't see this as a handicap, but an opportunity to show the power of God. So let me just tell you, if you're going to boast, you're going to brag about something, here's what you can brag about. What a mess of your life you made, and God changed it and fixed it. Boast about that. Let him exalt you, not your own mouth. (laughs) Finally, number five, the Apostle John teaches us something of a pure heart. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up here. John wrote Revelation, and and a lot of commentators think that 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John were actually written after Revelation. It says, if we love our brothers and sisters who are believers, it proves that we have passed from death to life, but a person who has no love is still dead. Anyone who hates another brother or sister is really a murderer at heart, and and you know that murderers don't have eternal life within them. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us, so we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Our actions will show that we belong to the truth, so we will be confident when we stand before God. A pure heart, an undivided heart, a heart that truly loves God, cares about what God cares about. Do you know what God cares about? People. I saw something the other day of a pastor who said, isn't it crazy how bad the human spirit is broken 
that another, he was referring to Ukraine, that another nation will kill people just to get land. But I was thinking about that. You know, we do the same with our words all the time, don't we? We cut people down with our words. We overlook people who have nothing to give us. They have no money. They have no status. They have no advantage. We can see people as tools for our gain. We communicate to people by our body language that we're always in a hurry, that we don't have time for them. I remember a friend of mine years ago, he was all, it's like, he was, grew up with him. And every time we'd go to talk, after two, three minutes, it's like he was always looking at his watch and trying to head out, you know, just, you know, you know, you do the body language. I'm, 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 I'm away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now I've given away my tools, but uh, I'm messing with you. And I kept thinking, okay, why does he keep doing this? And I, no, that's okay. Smell me. But then, no, seriously, I, I began to talk to other friends about it. And they're like, yeah, he would do that to me as well. It's like, he's always. And so we came up to him and said, hey, man, I, I just want to let you know, every time you do that, it's like, you're kind of like showing us that you don't, that we're not valuable. And it really hurts our hearts. And he stopped after that. How you love people shows what's in your heart and your love for God. It's clear. You know, you can give dignity to somebody just by stopping, looking at them in the eyes and listening to their story. Huge dignity. We got to care for people. We got to love people. There's something happening in the Western church that I think is really troubling. I heard it on a, on a podcast and I, the other day. It's something about this just really confirmed it. We're trying to be the church. We're trying to operate as the church outside of community. Meaning, we go to church and we worship by ourselves. Everything is private. We listen to the message by ourselves. That's private. We never talk to anybody. We're in and out, we're out, service is over, we're out. We're never a part of anything outside of, and this is the family of believers. This is the church, this is the family you're called to be. If this, you know, it's different if you're not called to be this, but if this is your call to be here, this is your family. And we live this whole world of Christianity outside of community. And you gotta understand, one of the ways that God's refining work is to make us pure like silver is to use people <laughs> to rub off the hard edges. We have conflict and we learn how to resolve it. We get offended, we learn how to forgive. We're selfish, we learn how to give of ourselves. And I'm telling you, these things really just, I just, they just can't be accomplished outside of community. And, um, of course, marriage and kids helps a lot too. <laughs> but what I love about our church is that we've got people from all over the place. Different backgrounds, different religious bringings, different incomes. Some live in big houses, some live in small houses, some live in RVs. <laughs> but none of that matters when you walk into the house of God. And if you think about it, truth be told, most of us outside of this community are just normal community that we hang out with normally looks and sounds and talks like all of us, like we do, right? Think about it. The people we normally hang out all look and sound like we do, for the most part. 
the church is the one place where all these people come together from all these different backgrounds, different places, and we're bound together by one thing, Jesus. Not our ethnicity, not our income, not our hobbies, not our jobs, Christ. Christ in us. And we come together, and here's what happens. We show the world what love looks like and what Jesus looks like. So here's the thing. It means going out of your way. It means going out of your way, being intentional to serve, bear one another's burdens. But here, let me just, I say this all the time. How can we bear somebody else's burdens if we don't know what they are? And the only way to know what they are is you got to get in people's lives. You have to be intentional. And this is God's way of making us holy and set apart. Let me just say, get involved in a small group, get in a prayer group, serve, do whatever it takes to do, because you know, this is for my own good. God's working out a pure heart when I'm in context with other people. And if you think about it, the, the, the world, the way they love people is generally for a few, just a few different reasons. Either one, because they look like them. Number two, what they can get for them. Or number three, because they feel sorry for them. We don't do that in the church. We love people because Christ in us compels us to love people. And it's him loving through us. And we're all equal. And it's just this beautiful, beautiful thing that happens. So I want to say, let's just stand up. And I want to just, we're just, I'm going to take you through a little bit of repentance real quick.